are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Dolphins fans, and welcome to yet another Friday episode of Locked On Dolphins. I am your host, Kyle Krabs. Managing Editor of USA Today's Dolphins Wire, Director of Scouting at TheDraftNetwork.com, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, and one tired dad. (laughs) The Friday podcast is getting out a little later than usual, so uh, it is my apologies if you are typically a morning commute listener, but uh, when your daughter, six-month-old daughter, decides she wants to throw a rager in her nursery from uh, 11.30 a.m. till, or 11.30 p.m. until 4 a.m., uh, there's only so much you can do other than just white-knuckle whatever chair you're sitting in and hope for the best. So I was getting ready to record just before midnight last night for a midnight release, and uh, Miss Madeline had other plans. But that's okay, because it gave us a chance to further hone our thoughts on the two subjects that I want to talk about today. Uh, one of which is a trend for Tua Tungvaloa and his starts from 2020, an area that the Dolphins as an offense collectively and specifically Tua are going to have to get much better at, uh, but then also the numbers game that's brewing uh, with the Dolphins and their pass catchers this offseason. I only recently did the math, and the Dolphins 21 combined wide receivers and tight ends on this roster as things currently stand. I'm going to say it again. 21. That is a monstrous number of wide receivers and tight ends. Uh, And inevitably, the most you're realistically going to carry is 10 between these two position groups Combine maybe 11 if you're going to keep a guy for special teams. But four tight ends and, and seven wide receivers, which is what you would assume the split would be, is, is just, it's a very large portion of your 53-man roster. So that now you're really banking, okay, we need to have additional positional versatility along the offensive line so we can carry one less offensive lineman. Or alternatively, we got to be able to count on either Malcolm Perry or Lynn Bowden to take reps out of the backfield, and we're going to take one less running back. Uh, so you kind of have to play that game. And the Dolphins, they do have some versatile pieces. But just want to run through all the names, uh, what their standing is with the team, and then kind of get back into that addressing versus investing in positions. A dynamic that we talked about last offseason with the offensive line for Miami with how early and often they attack that position. The tight end room alone, there's eight tight ends on the roster. Mike Gusecki, Durham Smythe, Adam Shaheen, Seathan Carter, Hunter Long, Carl Tucker, Chris Myrick, Jibri Blount. Whittling this group down is not easy. Uh, you do have two players in contract years in Mike Gusecki and Durham Smythe. But... Adam Shaheen, he signed a two-year extension in October 2020. Seathan Carter, they signed this offseason. Hunter Long, they drafted in the third round of this year's NFL draft. Then you have three guys that I think are really easy practice squad candidates, not active roster guys in Tucker, Myrick, and Blount. So, but now you're, you're still down to five. Uh, 
I tried to do a little bit of research. Like, what's the most number of active tight ends a team has carried on their 53-man roster? And remember, it is a, still a 53-man roster, but you, on game day, get to elevate two players off the practice squad for 55. So it's an active game day roster, but you still have to make the cut down to 53. The closest I found was the Packers in 2011 carried five tight ends on the roster. And even then, they turned around, they carried five wide receivers. So their combined was 10. I don't think Miami would go five and five split, but like you have a realistic argument to be made that Gasecki, Smythe, Shaheen, Carter, and Long all belong on the on the roster this year. I would think the odd man out, given the fact that they just signed Seaton Carter in a special teams value, the fact that they just gave Adam Shaheen a two-year extension, they just drafted Hunter Long in the third round. Mike Gasecki's putting up 700 yards. The odd man out feels like Durham Smythe. Which, if I'm doing an, a, a talent assessment and being completely honest, uh, he, I think he is the, the low man on the totem pole as, as far as the pecking order for the talent at the tight end position. But he's also a player that you hear positive reviews for from Dolphins coaches and reports all the time. So who the hell knows? It's a tough decision to make, but this is uh, the difference between addressing and investing in positions, right? And we'll get into the same thing at wide receiver. Addressing a position would be signing Josh Sitton to bolster your interior offensive line and calling in the day on the offensive line. The Dolphins said, yeah, man, our, we need a lot more depth at the skill groups. They went out and they got a bunch of patch catchers. A bunch. Seaton Carter, H-back, which was in a report that Barry Jackson put out this week. Uh, Hunter Long, stereotypical, traditional, why, in the, or why with his hand in the dirt? we got to figure out what the long-term plan is with Gusecki. Uh, Shaheen on the two-year contract, that was a, a total steal for them as far as uh, a no-risk acquisition that turned out really well. He was halfway through his first season in Miami, already nailed down two-year extension. You invest in the position. You, you pour resources into it to make sure you have enough new variables that you get it right. So assume you cut the four. Assume you, you get rid of Durham Smythe and you keep Kaseki, Shaheen, Carter, and Long. And I think it's questionable that, that, that they will end up getting rid of Smythe. Now you have to do the math with the wide receivers. If you got to find a way to get this to six, they got 13 on the roster. Parker, Fuller, Waddle, Williams, Wilson, Bowden Jr., Hollins, Hearns, Grant, Foster, Perry, Merritt, Loxley. <laughs> find the easy cuts. And take your emotion of Jakeem Grant out of the equation. Kyle Oxley, Kirk Merritt, practice squad candidates. Great. Boom. Alan Hearns. Very low ceiling. Cut. Done. Now you're down to 10. You still got to cut four more guys. You, you would think, and this was, this was a strategy that we saw the Buffalo Bills do when they were committed to overhauling their entire offensive line, they brought in like nine dudes. And you already knew they ain't keeping nine dudes on the offensive line in addition to what few pieces they already had. So what they ended up doing is they they got to roster cut-down window, and they traded these guys away for a future six, a future seven. So I'm, I'm curious with the Dolphins' wide receiver room, right? Because they brought in Robert Foster, who they signed on a one-year contract. He's got like $1.07 million. He's, there's no risk. He could be cut very easily. 
So if you cut Robert Foster, because he's a low man on the totem pole, they brought back Mac Hollins to play special teams. He's probably going to make the roster just off special teams and kick coverage. Jakeem Grant was, was, you know, say what we will about his receiving skills. He was second team all pro as a returner last year. Do they keep him? I would not. Not for his price point, not for his headaches on offense. So, but that that's not an easy decision to be made. But assume they do. So now you still have Parker, Fuller, Waddle, Williams, Wilson, Bowden Jr., Hollins, Malcolm Perry. You have eight. You still got to get rid of two guys out of this group. Albert Wilson, just because we feel his best days are behind him, water under the bridge, okay. Now you still got one. Is it going to be Malcolm Perry who showed promise? Is it going to be Mac Hollins at the expense of your kick coverage unit? You know, this, it's... This is going to be a challenging proposition to get rid of these guys, but that's the best possible problem that you could have, right? That is a testament to what Chris Greer was able to do this offseason to bring in enough bodies in the pass-catching room that it's like, wow, we're going to have to... We have to get rid of some of these guys? Question mark? That's the sign of a good team. When you cut somebody, and there's five teams lining up in the waiver wire to place a claim. That's what you should aspire to be. And I look at this wide receiver room, maybe not with Durham Smythe, assuming he's cut and they only keep four tight ends. But I look at the wide receiver room, if Albert Wilson's cut, Miami takes on the dead cap, he's got one year on his deal, it's like $3 million, somebody's probably claiming him. I don't know if anybody's claiming Alan Hearns, but there's talent that if Miami dumps because they say our wide receiver room is talented enough that we don't have room for you, other teams across the league will have a market for some of those players. That is the best embodiment that I could possibly come up with. That you are improving your areas of need by investing in them, going after a surplus of players at that position systemically, group by group. As you get a position group right, you shift your focus to the next one, and then if you need to tinker something on the other side with a position that you've already addressed, you can do that. This is the way the Dolphins are choosing to build the roster. They invested in quarterback. They invested in offensive line. We now have a year of those under our belt. After two years, we'll take what information we have available and we'll make the best decisions that we can to make adjustments where we need to. Then a year after that, we'll look at these, these wide receivers. I mean, we'll have a chance to reevaluate Will Fuller uh, very quickly because he's only in a one-year deal. But this is the latest example of Miami attacking a team need in mass. And the end result is all of a sudden you have a surplus that's going to make for some difficult decisions on cutdown day. RockAuto.com is a family business who's been providing auto parts customers with high quality service online for the last 20 years. So whether you're shopping for engine control modules, brake parts, taillights, motor oil, or even new carpet, for your classic or daily driver, rockauto.com has everything you need in one easy-to-navigate catalog, and in just a few clicks, you can get everything delivered directly to your front door. Best of all, price are the same at rockauto.com for both professionals and do-it-yourselfers, so why would you shop anywhere else and spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Visit rockauto.com for all your auto parts needs, and write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. 
Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports action. Get all the latest news, odds, and info on your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, and UFC. Head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information available. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using promo code Locked On. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. The other thing I'd like to talk about today is rooted in. Tua Tagovailoa and the starts that he had in 2020 for the Dolphins, and a trend that has become apparent you know, as, as you get to the end of this the season and uh, you get more opportunities for some of the more analytics and data driven outlets to to process the information of the season and and kind of come up with with different graphics and statistics and so on and so forth. One thing that really jumped out to me. And Mark Schofield, for starters, of Touchdown Wire. Mark's a good friend of mine. He does phenomenal work. He's a super bright football dude. Uh, we'll even give him a pass on being a Patriots fan. Uh, he wrote a story profiling how each of the 2020 first-round starting quarterback rookies handled pressure in 2020. And uh, what he noticed is that there were there were three games that comfortably, to a tongue of Aloha, played at his worst uh, were the two games in which he was benched, the Denver Broncos game and the Las Vegas Raiders game, and the first game he played as a starter against the Los Angeles Rams, right? And I understand, you know, I was at the game against the Rams, so I understand they got three plays in the second quarter, and they got like one yard on those three plays, scored a touchdown on it, but they had a block punt, they had the fumble return, Shaquem ran one back. Like, I get it. I was there. I know the context of the game. And he wasn't asked to do much in the second half uh, because your rookie quarterback first start, Aaron Donald, on the side, tearing Eric Flowers to shreds. And you just, you don't want to make a back-breaking mistake. So I get it. But, nevertheless, the Rams from an EPA per play, which is expected points added per play metric, Tua Tagovailoa's worst start of his career was that Rams game. The second worst start of his career was the game against Denver, which was pressured on 42% of his snaps. Just a monstrous number. Abysmal. Vic Fangio threw the kitchen sink at the offensive line and Tua. And then the Raiders game. What do those teams all have in common? Well, NFL Research put out a graphic at the end of the year in 2020 that was bumped and came back up across my timeline uh, earlier this week. And according to the next-gen stats, uh, the Rams and Broncos, Brandon Staley and Vic Fangio, head and shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes by like 25-30% kind of head and shoulders above the rest of the field. Two high safety shells. Rams and Broncos. This is according to NFL research. Rams, D.C., Brandon Staley using schemes similar to Vic Fangio. They spent three years together in Denver and Chicago. Rams and Broncos, only teams to align pre-snap with two high safeties, middle of the field open on 60-plus percent of their defensive snaps and employ light boxes 
on 75% of their defensive snaps per next-gen stats. So the next highest team as far as two high safety, middle of the field, open coverage. You got three teams in a bunch. And it's the Chiefs, the Saints, and the Packers. And they're all below 60%. The Broncos and Rams are above 80 85%. So it's 20-25% between them and everybody else. So those are two of the three teams that Tua Tungvalu performed his worst against. And I can hear the question now, well, Kyle, what about the Raiders? Well, the Raiders are in the middle of the pack. They're 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, somewhere around 10th or 11th in middle of the field open coverage with two high safety shells. But that doesn't give you full context because the Raiders midseason fired Paul Gunther as their defensive coordinator. And when the Dolphins played the Raiders, Rod Marinelli was calling the plays, defensive line coach Rod Marinelli. Rod Marinelli runs a Tampa 2, two high safety defense. This was the seam ball that Fitz threaded to Gusecki to kickstart the fourth quarter comeback. That deep-dropping middle-of-the-field, or Mike linebacker in the middle of the field trying to run with Gusecki and carry him down the field, and they're asking Raquan McMillan to do that? Yeah, that, that's Tampa, too, and that Mike linebacker's got to run and carry anything up the middle of the field. That Tampa, too, is how Fitz anticipated throwing a prayer while blind to Mac Collins on the sideline because Rod Marinelli runs Tampa, too. So each of the three teams, from an EPA per play perspective, that were Tua Tungvalu's worst games, were played against defensive play callers who predominantly run two high shell safety looks. That's a trend, and something that needs to be acknowledged, something that needs to be explored. And I have a couple theories on uh, what can change and what impacted that, and how it can get better, and how Tua needs to be better and how the running game needs to be better and how the receivers need to be better. And we'll get into that as soon as I reveal my latest theory on Bilt Bar, which it is the world's most delicious protein bar. Bilt Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. It's high in protein, high in fiber, low in calories, low in sugar. Whether you're looking for something to grab and go, something post-workout, delicious snack throughout the day, Breakfast, lunch, dinner, keto-friendly, you name it. Built Bar can be it. They got 10 flavors to choose from right now. They got some new ones coming down the chute that are amazing, so you're going to want to keep your eyes peeled for that. You can visit BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCK15, and save 15% on your next order of Built Bar. So visit BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCK15, save 15%, find out what all the fuss is about for yourself, and thank me later. So as far as this too-high safety struggle that uh, the Dolphins experienced with Tua Tungvaloa as a starting quarterback. If you think about the receivers that they brought in, they brought in Will Fuller. They brought in Jalen Waddle. Those are speed vertical receivers who are going to prompt, drumroll please, more too high safety looks. So, we need to solve this riddle as far as why this was a struggle, why it didn't work, where it can get better. And I think the speed of the receivers themselves can be a large part of the solution. 
Because when you got Devontae Parker, and he's the most dynamic receiver that you have, and then you got Mac Hollins, and you know, these other guys, they're not really re- refined running vertically and separating. Defenses are going to simply sit flat-footed. They'll play congested with two high safeties. They're going to dictate you into running the football because most football coaches, including Chan Gailey, because I read all the tweets, I remember how frustrated everybody was that every time we got first and 10 and they ran the ball and they got one yard out of it, a lot of those times it was because it was a too high safety look. And when the Dolphins run RPO concepts to the, the volume in which they did, with Tua Tungvalu as the starting quarterback, the de facto read on two high safety is I'm going to hand the ball off. So if I'm a defensive coordinator on the other side and I say, well, shit, they're going to play, they're going to RPO us to death, that's fine. I don't think they can beat us up front on the line of scrimmage. So I'm just going to play my two safeties back, dictate, tell them to, tell, tell them to run the football, and I'm going to force them to prove that they can run the ball on me. And the Dolphins could run the ball on him. Rams. 55 yards on 25 attempts. 2.2 yards per attempt. Broncos, 56 yards on 17 attempts. 3.29 yards per attempt. So the Rams and Broncos games combined, the two least efficient games from an EPA per play perspective of Tua Tagovailoa's young career, they rushed the ball 42 times, and got 111 yards. They could not run the ball against teams that were playing too high safety. That's a problem. So the first thing you need to do to fix playing better against too high safety is when they play deep because they're going to ask you and dare you to run the football, you got to be able to run the ball. Now the good news is the Raiders game, they went off 25 attempts for 130 yards, 5.2 yards per carry. Miles Gaskin had a 24-yarder. Great. Terrific. As you end up starting three rookies on your offensive line, you give them a little bit of time. Lo and behold, you probably run the ball. Now, granted, uh, the Raiders' defense uh, talent up front is not to the degree in which Denver and the Los Angeles Rams had. But some of this is player development along the offensive line. Better chemistry. Robert Hunt getting more involved. Kicking him inside the guard. If they feel that's going to lock more potential, fine. More power to you. You got to be able to run the ball against two high safeties. Now, the speed of the receivers as well, which is originally where I was going to go until I went off on the run the ball tangent, is something that I think is going to help as well because you can't just sit flat footed on these guys at 12 or 15 yards anymore. You have to respect the deep ability. Even when Jakeem Grant was out there, Jakeem can blaze. We know that. They really didn't respect his ability to, to get vertical over top of him. Everybody points out the drop against Cincinnati. Everybody drop, points out the ball he had to come back to against Kansas City that ended up being intercepted. I thought the one against Kansas City was underthrown. And I thought the one against Cincinnati, I mean, it hit you right in the hands. I understand it probably should have gone more on the center of the logo instead of the right hash as far as placement of the throw. But that's a, for a vertical receiver, it's a very routine adjustment to make. And he dropped it. So Will Fuller and Jalen Waddell are going to command more respect so that you can't sit everybody on the back end at 12 or 15 yards. Because if they're flat-footed and sitting at 15 yards and you're trying to work the middle of the field in the intermediate areas, 
that second level doesn't have to worry about getting any depth because they can, they can stay within three yards of their stance and you've got to throw an, a, an absolute circus throw to get it up over the second level and in front of the second level or in front of the third level. It's just the physics of the ball throw doesn't work like that unless you're like the last airbender bending the ball around guys like David Beckham. You can't do it. So now, all of a sudden, you're too high a safety shell. Instead of sitting at 12, 15 yards, they're going to be pushing at 20, 25 if you're running these guys vertical. So now, all of a sudden, the linebackers, they're going to feel the stress of like, okay, the guys behind me are actually going to have to get off their spot and get some depth, which means I got to get depth too. I got to feather it out. I got to layer the difference. That's going to help. More room to work and operate. Teams did not respect the Dolphins' wide receiver core last year to get vertical or to create separation against man-to-man coverage. And rightfully so. They couldn't do it. So the receivers being better is going to help against two high safety shells and prompt more two high safety shells, which is then going to make running the ball easier, especially with the offensive line another year more mature. And then from Tua Tagovailoa's perspective, got to make sure the protection calls are right. Got to make sure you understand in pre-snap processing, this is where I'm supposed to go with the football based on matchup specifics. I got to anticipate how they're going to rotate the safety shell. If they're going to rotate the safety shell, if they're going to stay in, stay in too high safety looks post-snap, I got to be able to confirm that and know where my eyes are supposed to start to go with the football. All of those things combined is how you're going to get better against too high safety shells. But I do not think it's really a coincidence that the three teams that threw Tua Tagovailoa so much for a loop that his EPA was comfortably the worst in all three of those football games were the teams that liked to implement the same kinds of looks. And until the Dolphins prove that they have outgrown these growing pains, other coaches are going to replicate it. So that's why it was so important for the Dolphins to come out and get the skill players that they did because now it's much more dynamic group. You can't be so static and dictate the terms of what the offense is going to do by saying, if we play two high safeties, we just know on early downs they're probably going to run the ball because that's what their rules tell them to do. But we don't, you know, we don't think that they can beat us up front, and we definitely don't think they can run past us. So we're just going to play the extra safety back and tell them to run the ball and beat them with a light box. I think those days are over. But this, that is a very contextualized look at why those games were pain points for Tua Tagovailoa. Let's see where it goes from here. I think they got the right ingredients to make the change, but everybody's got to execute. The offensive line's got to execute. The backs have to execute and run hard. Tua's got to execute with his eyes, with his mind before the snap. He's got to have confidence in the playbook, like he said. And these receivers got to force you to respect them vertically. I hope you respectfully, have a phenomenal weekend. Thanks, as always, for listening. I appreciate everybody's patience. We'll get the podcast out today. Like I said, a little later than usual, but damn it, we make the best of it. And uh, I'm really glad I got a chance to collect my thoughts and, and talk through this dynamic of of these two high safety stuff with the Dolphins offense last year with two at, at the quarterback position because uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you guys did too. Fins up. Keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. I'm Kyle Krabs. Thanks, as always, for listening, guys. I'll talk to you on Monday.